Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. You know, it is great to be back here. We enjoyed getting away. It was fun to see our kids and our newest grandchild. Uh, that was a blast. We enjoyed that time. We also took a couple days. We went up to uh, Vancouver, I'm sorry, to Victoria in British Columbia, and we enjoyed that as well. It was a, a very fun trip, and we missed being here. One of the things that I love about this church is that you guys sing really well. We were in a church that uh, we, I mean, it was so bad, the only singing I could hear was me. And, and so it was a blessing to be back here and worship with you guys this morning, and, and I appreciate it. And I got back just in time for uh, Dr. Kelly's birthday. Woohoo! So, uh, although somebody, one of my dear friends in this church, said, You're back? I thought we got rid of you. <laughs> no, but it is a blessing to be back. And hopefully they were just kidding. So. So why does the screen say Hugo Gernsback? Who was he? Well, see, magazine, he was a magazine publisher and an inventor, and he was stressed by the many distractions in his modern office. It seemed impossible for him to get things done because there was the noise of typing and there was the noise of clicking and there was ringing phones and chimes and talking coworkers and frequent interruptions. And he said, this, this, this is just not working. Now, Megan and I have, we got um, noise, noise, noise canceling headphones. There we go. We, we got these so they help. We can put it on and and uh, it works better if you don't wear glasses, but they're still amazing. And for me, I listen to music that helps me just completely focus my mind. That doesn't work for Kathy, because she's musical. She starts thinking about the music, and, uh, but it helps me focus. But poor Hugo lived in a time before these high-tech wonders. So he spent some time in a lab fabricating something that would isolate him from all the sounds around him and help him to focus only on what was exactly directly in front of him. And in 1925, this is what he came up with, the isolator. <laughs> Looks like a combination of a diving bell and an astronaut suit or something. And he literally wore this at his desk, and everybody knew when he had that on, you don't interrupt him at all, or you wait till the oxygen runs out. <laughs> and, uh, but poor Hugo, there wasn't much of a market for his invention. But he did have a brilliant idea, and that was that we need to focus on what is most important. We can get sidetracked by many distractions in life. We have to focus. Now, uh, as Megan said in her Tuesday talk this week, we're jumping back into our study through the book of Ephesians, and today we're in chapter 4 again, and we're looking at Church 101. Church 101. What's the basics of the church? What's the core of why we gather here? Now, I want to make something clear, hopefully make it clear to you, that 
The church is not just believers. The church is believers gathered together. It's an assembly of called out ones. So this morning when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about our assembly. So when you live your life out in the world, out where you go, where you work, whatever, what's the most important thing you have to do everywhere? Jesus said, uh, this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as an individual, your highest priority is to love God and to love other people. And then as we gather together here, then this gathering has a slightly different slant to it than just love God and love other people. There are some things that we need to do when we gather together, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, I pray that you would help me to overcome my physical limitations, and uh, I pray that you would help us all to overcome emotional and physical distractions, to be able to focus on your message, that we could listen to your word, that we could listen to your Holy Spirit as he speaks your truth into our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, and today we're going to jump in at verse 11. Okay, Ephesians 4, 11, and he starts talking about the church. He said, and he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay, we're going to look a little more there in just a moment. But first of all, he gave some apostles. Now, the apostles were the guys that walked with Jesus. The apostles were the ones that were called specifically to that ministry. Uh, They served God. They taught his word. Uh, Our faith is laid down on the foundation of Jesus Christ establishing it. And then the uh, apostles. And we're following the teaching of the apostles as we study the scripture and we learn. And then secondly, he said prophets. Now the prophets would reveal new truth to people. Stuff that God had not yet revealed, he would reveal it to the prophet and then the prophet would go and tell people. We see that all through the Old Testament. We see that through the Gospels. We see that through the book of Acts. But the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that the prophecies would stop. They would cease. They would cease happening. So Today, I'm standing before you not as a prophet or an apostle. I wasn't around when Jesus lived, and I don't have a new message for you. What we're doing is we're teaching the foundational principles that Jesus and the apostles laid out for us, the foundation of Jesus, and then the apostles built on that, and now we're building on that as well. So... God is no longer using prophets to reveal new truth. In fact, um, I believe that, that, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, that, that the completed scripture, we can tell whether somebody's teaching the truth by comparing it to God's word. We look at God's word. We don't have to have a prophet of God reveal it to us. We have his word. So the problem isn't, that we need new truth. The issue is we need to live out the truth we already know because God has revealed it to us. 
So then he says, what's the next group? You got apostles and then prophets and then evangelists. Well, every believer is supposed to evangelize. We're supposed to try and reach people in our community, befriend them, talk to them, interact with them, try and bring them to the gospel. Uh, try it. We're seeking to lead them to salvation. I like to describe it as bringing people, discipling them toward Christ, and then in the church, we then disciple them in Christ. Um, but some people are per particularly gifted and called to the evangelistic ministry. Can you name a couple of people like that? We, we have the ones that we support in our church, Taru Marshall and Pete Rice, and I've participated with both of them in evangelistic meetings in Cuba and with Pete also in Arizona and in Mexico. And uh, we've seen thousands come to Christ through Pete's evangelistic meetings and crusades uh, because God has called him and equipped him and uses him in that way. And then some pastors and teachers. Now, some people separate pastors and teachers separately, and there is a role for teachers. Uh, in fact, Tim Pennock was standing right here teaching in the previous hour during the Bible class, and we had others teaching in other rooms over in the other building. Uh, but uh, the way it's constructed in the Greek, uh, it, the way he says, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, in this particular scripture, uh, this passage, he's linking them together. So every pastor must be a teacher, but not every teacher is a pastor. And the pastoral role is two parts. One aspect is pastor shepherding and the other aspect is preaching teaching. And uh, they're the role of the person called by God and called by the congregation to lead the ministry. And so why did God call evangelists and pastors? I, I don't, now I, if you read some people's uh, writings about the spiritual gifts, some of them will say, well, the apostolic gift is the entrepreneur, and the prophetic gift is the one who speaks God's word boldly and confrontationally. I think those gifts stopped. I think the apostles stopped when John died. He was the last apostle mentioned in scripture. He lived into his 90s. Uh, he might have been around at the turn of the first century, although they didn't work the calendar that way back then. Uh, but, but John uh, would have died early in the 100s or just before that, uh, depending on how old he was uh, when he started following Christ. And then, uh, so that's when apostles stopped. And the way Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, he said, now abides faith, hope, and love. And so he was saying the apostolic gift was already ceasing when he was writing. And uh, when the scriptures were completed, the, the, I'm sorry, the prophetic gift stopped when the scriptures were completed. So people can boldly proclaim God's word, yes, but they're not revealing new truth. In fact, everyone that I have studied that has said they were revealing new truth we're actually contradicting things in this word. And we're supposed to, if this is the Holy Spirit written book, as Peter said it was, uh, then we're supposed to follow this book. The Holy Spirit wouldn't reveal new truth that's contrary to that truth. So, uh, but 
The evangelists and pastors, these gifts are operating today and they have a specific purpose, both of them, although God uses the evangelists primarily in evangelizing, bringing people to salvation, and he uses the pastors to then help grow and mature people in salvation. But both evangelists and pastors are supposed to be trying to reach people for Christ, and both evangelists and pastors are trying to help people mature in their relationship with Christ. So look here in verse 12. Here's what he says he wants them to do. For the equipping of the saints. This is equipping, building up, giving maturity. So like Dawson plays soccer, and he's apparently pretty good at it. He never, ever has talked to me for pointers on how to improve his soccer game. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, when he was 13, he was already better at soccer than I am or than I ever was, even though I've slowed down a little now. But um, the equipping of the saints is the building up. See, one of the things that we do in the church is we build people up. Not to become arrogant, not, you, you know, the mark of your maturity is not how much Bible you have memorized. It's how much you live it out. The love that we have is the mark of biblical maturity. And so, but we are supposed to be trying to equip the saints. So every message, every time we teach, every time we preach, every Sunday school class, every Awana lesson, the goal is to build people up in their faith. Secondly, for the work of the ministry, we are equipping people for the work of the ministry. See, every one of you, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, Every one of you is called to be a minister. Amen. Now, I know some people call the pastor the minister. Well, if I'm the only minister in this church, <laughs> we're in trouble. Uh, some of you get more interaction with a lot of other people in this church. We minister to one another for the work of the ministry. Now, it's work. It's toil. It's striving. It's laboring. The work of the ministry. That's why we have evangelists and pastors to help equip people to do that for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, the building up of the body of Christ so that we're all becoming more mature. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, I've said this many times, but I've been a pastor for a long time, more than 30 years, and, and I can just look at people and I can tell if they need to grow spiritually. They're still breathing. <laughs> See, the, the standard is Jesus Christ. That's the standard. Now, none of you can honestly look in the mirror and say, I look exactly like Jesus. You can't do it. So it's not an impossible goal that we're striving toward, but it is what we're striving toward. And then when we get to heaven, we'll be the most mature we've ever been because we'll be with Christ and we'll be more like him than we've ever been on this earth. So the goal of pastoral ministry is to encourage all of us to become more like Christ. 
And so what happens in some churches is they bicker and they fight and they fuss and there's divisions. And I have heard of, and actually I did attend one, a church business meeting where people yelled at each other and threw things at each other. And, and uh, when I became, first became a pastor, God led us to another community about 100 miles south of here before we came here. And that church had a history of uh, people showing up. What, what happened is like, we don't have an organ. We have two pianos, electronic and, and non-electronic. I don't know what that's called, but um, <laughs> so that's, they're both real. That one's just digital. Uh, and so, uh, but in that church, there was a piano over there and an organ over there. And so the new pastor came in and he decided he wanted to put the organ over there and the piano over there. Well, there was a guy in that church whose grandpa bought that organ and put it right there. How dare that new pastor do that? So he swapped it back. And the next Sunday, pastor gets up, could have sworn I moved those things. And so he switches them back. And it got so bad there were guys in pickup trucks with rifles and shotguns cruising around the church to make sure no one would get in to move the organ. So that's not how a church is supposed to be, in case you were wondering. It's not supposed to be like that. What's supposed to be is when you come into this building, you're supposed to not be thinking, well, I sure hope. They pick some songs that I like today because I didn't like the ones from last week. <laughs> what you're supposed to be thinking is, how is this message going to help me grow and mature as I follow Christ? We're supposed to be focusing on that. That's why we gather, to help us all grow and mature. And then he says in verse 14, that we should no longer be children. All right, those of you who are kids, God's goal is you stop being kids. No, no the truth is he wants you to grow out of it. See, we had a, a fun time seeing our newest grandchild, Nadia, and we held her, and I mean, she's pretty tiny. She, she's really tiny, and I, 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 I laughed that, that her diaper fit on the palm of my hand. The, the whole thing, just, just, she's so little. And you know, it's so special. Courtney sent a picture of her smiling and like, oh, her first smiles. It was probably just gas, but it was still fun <laughs> to see a smiling picture. And so we, we looked at this little baby and there's joy because there's new life. There's potential. Now, Courtney once was a little baby like that, that Kathy and I held a long time ago. And we're really glad she's not still like that. So some families have the trauma of babies who don't grow up. And it's not that they die young, but they have physical uh, issues that stop that capacity. And I, I have seen adult men's heads on little boy bodies. And that's, it's a crisis, it's a problem, it's a difficulty. 
And see, that sometimes can happen spiritually. People can stop growing up. Now, you only have two options. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There is no middle ground of finding stasis. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. So you are either becoming more like Christ or less like Christ. And it has to do with what you do with your time, with your energy, with your values, how you pursue life. So he doesn't want you to still be children. And one of the dangers of being spiritual children is you're tossed, as he says in verse 14, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are certain people who try to get followers of themselves. They want people to follow them. Uh, and, and if you don't listen to them, if you don't follow them, then you're not following God the right way. Well, the truth is, pastors are an essential part of the church, but this pastor could die tomorrow and this church would be fine. They would look for a new pastor, they would find somebody, the deacons would step up and serve, there might be more guest speakers for a little bit, but the church would be fine. Pastors are essential, but the church is not built on the pastor. The church is built on Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. And so we're making sure that we exalt Jesus and that's the standard that we're growing toward is Jesus. Now, to be honest with you, if some of you young guys in this church went up to my wife and said, my goal in life is to become more like pastor, what do you think she would say? <laughs> ah! That's what she'd say. She'd say. No! She knows all of my foibles. The truth is, we want you to be the best version of you as you follow Jesus and become more like Jesus. So kids, you can deceive kids. You, you can play games on kids. You, you can, I, I loved it when my kids were two and three and they thought I could really do magic. Uh, but we, God doesn't want you to stay a spiritual kid. He wants you to be able to listen to a message and say, Yes, they're following God's word accurately, or they're not following God's word accurately. He wants you to be able to make that decision. If you move from this place and go to another church, he wants you to be able to find a church that's following God's word as accurately as possible. And then he says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Now, have you ever heard an angry sermon? You know, Kathy and I had a, one of our teachers in Bible college, he called them Tennessee wind-sucking preachers. And here's why he said, the guy would get up and say, and God said that you must repent. And he just get, I don't know where he came with the idea of Tennessee, no offense, Ben, uh, but he called them Tennessee wind-sucking preachers. And, you know, some people preach, like, angrily. I, I had a pastor friend, and we were talking. There was a third guy who was also a friend. He was more of a friend of the other guy than me, but, but when he preached on hell, he seemed angry. And if you preach on hell, you should feel sorrow. 
You should feel sad that even the worst person on earth has to endure that. You want them to trust Christ and be transformed and be changed. And so we don't preach from anger. We don't preach from frustration. We focus and we preach the truth in love. It takes both together. Now, some churches, not, not very many, but some churches, they really focus on that love part. It doesn't matter what you do, you can't make them mad. They're like the loving grandparent that thinks their grandkids do nothing wrong. They're just, uh, and by the way, that's not true loving grandparents, but um, they, they just think anything you do, that's fine, that's great, that's wonderful. You're, it doesn't matter what your sin is. God just loves you, and I just love you, and, and some churches do that. And then on the other side, you have these churches, it's all about truth. Now, you girls, you better straighten up. I feel a little nervous with those four sitting there, so I'll turn my back to them. But, see, it's, it, it doesn't, you don't want to just focus on truth. There are Christians who teach as if God is angry at everybody who sins. God is angry at sin. The scripture does say that. But his motive is love. The heart of God is Christ died while we were yet sinners. He paid the penalty for us. So he wants the truth, but he wants the love, and he doesn't want us to go either or. He wants us to do both and. Truth and love. Then in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So every part of the church is supposed to be helping every other part of the church. So, see, Megan and I do this in the office. We work together, and, and there's things she does and things I do, and she doesn't do what I do, and I don't do what she does because we're both better at doing the thing that's our own thing. Uh, but we work together to make sure it all happens. We have uh, song leaders and musicians, and uh, we have different people. In fact, you know, we had three people up here singing with the microphone on. No one's ever asked Joel and I to sing with the microphone on. I don't know why, you know. <laughs> There's a very good reason why. <laughs> but we all do our part. And see, when today during the handshaking time, I wasn't shaking hands. I was waving a few people. I, uh, I feel a little sick. I don't want to spread the germs. So I'll just, I won't be out shaking hands after church either. I'll, I'll wave at you when I leave. Uh, but, but we all do our part. And... Everybody does. You kids, you have a part in ministry. You adults, you have a part in ministry. And all of you can do something to help encourage and strengthen the body of Christ, where each part does its part so that we're all working together. So within the church, that is this assembly of believers, remember, the most important thing we do is to preach and teach God's word accurately and lovingly. That's when we gather together, 
That's the most important thing we do, to preach and teach God's word accurately and lovingly. That's why we do that. We, that's why we don't focus on drama. We've done dramas. We don't focus on videos. We've shown a few videos at different times. Uh, we, uh, the music that we pick out has a message in the music. It's not just uh, to make you feel good and have fun. It's to have truth. Now, there's different styles of music, and, and, but the message must be the primary part of the music. The message should be the primary part of the service. A few churches have devalued preaching and they focus on so many other things. In fact, I read a thing by one guy and he says, if your message is more than 12 minutes long, it's too long. Well, sometimes it takes me 12 minutes just to get warmed up. <laughs> now, the optimal length of a bad message is zero, right? Okay, but, but God wants the preaching to be an important part of the church. That's how Jesus organized the church. Jesus and the, his apostles went everywhere preaching God's word. That shows up in Matthew 4.23, 9.35, Mark 1.14, Luke 8.1, Luke 9.6. And they went everywhere preaching God's word. It was important to Jesus and to the apostles. And then Jesus and Paul both taught that hearing God's word was essential to salvation. Multiple times Jesus called people to hear him as he taught and preached. Kind of like, hey, listen up, listen up. You know, he, and he would do that. He would call people to pay attention. Uh, throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus repeatedly said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then you go to Revelation, and Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he's dictating letters to John, the apostle, who then wrote those letters out and sent them to the churches. And in every one of those letters, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So hearing God's word is essential to salvation. With, without God's word, you could be a good person. You could be a kind person. You could even be a religious person. But you're not following God's truth, God's way. You need the message from God's word. And Jesus taught that hearing God's word was more important than any supernatural experience someone might have. Now, say, where does Jesus teach that? Well, in Luke 16, Jesus told a story, a historical story, not hysterical, not a parable, but a story about two guys who lived on earth. One guy happened to be wealthy, one guy happened to be very poor. But the biggest difference between the guys was not wealth and poverty, the biggest difference was where they went when they died. And, and what happened was the rich man didn't trust Christ, didn't follow God, and when he died, he went to the judgment side of Hades that we also call hell. And then he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And then Lazarus, who had followed God's salvation, Lazarus went to paradise. Yeah. And so Lazarus and the rich man 
where they went was totally different. And Jesus tells the story of this, this rich guy, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, that at that point in that one event, somebody in hell, the judgment side of Hades, could talk to somebody in the paradise side of Hades. They could see and talk to him. So the rich man could have a conversation with Abraham and Abraham could answer him back. I don't know if it's that way all the time. That's just how it was back then. One incident that Jesus described. And so here's the deal. The rich guy said, please send Lazarus back to warn my brothers so they don't come here. Now, just pause for a moment and think about that. We can get so busy with life, so busy with ministering among our Christians that we forget every person in hell would be an evangelist if they could. They can't, but we can. And so we can try and reach people. And so then Abraham answers this guy and says, that can't happen. And he said, here's the deal. If they won't, I'm going to paraphrase, if they won't listen to God's word, then they won't hear even though someone comes back from the dead. God's word is the most important part. Hearing God's truth, learning God's truth, applying it to our lives. We're really good at ignoring parts of it, but we need to follow it. And so we're discipling people toward Christ and then in Christ and seeking to help them grow and mature in their faith. We focus on teaching God's word through the songs that we sing and through the preaching and teaching ministry that we have in all of our ministries here. Now, one of the things that he warned about is uh, being children, you can be false teachers can catch you up and lead you astray. I, I don't remember why, when I was a teenager and a brand new Christian, I was sitting watching a television show listening to this preacher. And I'd never done that before, and it was really intriguing. And it's like he was telling me things that I had no idea. Well, I didn't have any idea because it's not really in the Bible. And, and so my dad walked by and said, what are you doing listening to him? I said, Dad, this is amazing. And then Dad took the main things this guy said, opened the Bible, and showed me the error of what that guy said. I said, then why do they allow him on TV? You know, naive kid. You know, if it's on TV, it should be true, right? Yeah. But we need to be beware of false teaching. We need to learn the truth and be aware of it. How do they train bank tellers? To recognize the feel, the touch, the smell, the difference between true dollars, genuine dollars, and counterfeits, they have them handle the real stuff. And that's what we need to do. We need to handle the truth so that we learn to recognize the error. Now, occasionally, we're going to say things wrongly, right? Sometimes you say something, you don't even realize that you said it wrong. Any of you ever done that? Any of you ever call your spouse by the wrong name? I haven't done that, but I have done that with my kids. Um, but See, the truth is, you, you think you're going to say this thing, and sometimes you think you really said that. Kathy and I have some hysterical moments where I swear she said something she didn't, or she swears I said something, and in our brains we had it right, but it didn't come out of the mouth quite right. I had one of those when I was preaching here just a couple of weeks ago, uh, going through Ephesians, and it, it was on... Uh, 
I said that non-believers are going to face God's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, hopefully your mind corrected that, that the judgment seat of Christ is for believers and it will determine the rewards that we get for serving the Lord. The, the judgment for non-believers is called the great white throne judgment because the Lord is on his great white throne. And that's where the non-believers will be judged to determine the level of punishment in hell and eventually the lake of fire. So I said it wrong. In my brain, I heard it right. But when I listened to the message on our podcast, I thought, huh, why did I say it like that? Okay, occasionally we're going to make a mistake. But what we try and do is then correct ourselves back to what's right. We don't teach error. We teach truth. And we correct ourselves back to truth. Our motto here at Victory is helping people trust and follow Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We want to help people trust him as their savior and then follow him as their Lord. That's very important part of what we do. Another important thing we do as a church is to challenge and encourage one another. Challenge and encourage one another. See, in verse 16, he talks about every part doing their part, right? In verse 13, he said, till we all come to this maturity. Um, so the end goal is to become more like Christ, and we help each other in that process. And occasionally, you know, somebody might see you, and that somebody might say, hey, you know, what you did didn't make sense. Or um, one time, a couple years ago, we were in the office and I had ordered something online and it hadn't come when the guy said it would come. And so I called him back and I said, hey, you know, I'm really frustrated. I ordered it, I don't have it. Um, I either want you to get it here by such and such a date or whatever. Or give me my money back. And after I hung up, I was feeling real pleased with myself for nailing it down, right? And Megan said to me, you sure sounded grumpy on that call. Or something like that. I don't remember how she phrased it. And I thought, you know, I probably did. So I turned around and I called the guy back. I said, listen, my administrative assistant said I sounded really grumpy on the phone. And my primary job as an individual believer is to show God's love. And I didn't do that. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. And we had a great conversation after that. And before he hung up, he said, man, can she clone herself and send one of her to me? I need somebody like that in the office with me. See, that's what we do. Megan wasn't doing it to fuss at me. She didn't stand with her hands on her hips and say, you really blew it. That time, she didn't do that. <laughs> but, but that's part of how we help each other. We encourage each other. And, and you know, you can, those of you who work in Awana and the kids are memorizing verses, and some kids really have to work hard to memorize a verse. For others, it's really easy. It's always been harder for me to memorize than it is for Kathy, and, and some of my kids did an easier job with it. Uh, but applaud their effort. See, as those verses that we read earlier, uh, we get rewarded for our own labor, 
not for the results of the labor, but for the effort that we put in. And so those kids that really have to work at it, tell them you're glad they work hard at it. The kids where it's easy, don't just tell them, hey, I'm really proud, your brain works that way. Praise them for what they do, the effort they put in. That's what we should focus on. That's what God's reward system is based on. So we're challenging and encouraging one another. The end goal is for all of us to look a little more like Jesus than when we started gathering here together. Our daily goal is not perfection, but progress. I hate hearing musical instruments practiced. I love hearing the end result. My son Benjamin played and practiced. One day he was practicing and practicing and practicing. He'd he'd get up early and practice two hours before high school. And uh, he was just going, and the same few measures, just going and going and going. I finally said, look, you've got it. Move on. And he said, nope, I don't have it yet. One time I came home, we had five kids and Kathy's, six instruments all being practiced at the same time. I went home, got a drink, got a snack, and left. Kathy said, where are you going? I said, I don't care. (laughs) I I just couldn't handle all the practice. But see, the truth is, that's what we need to do spiritually. We need to be practicing and practicing and practicing and getting better at it and getting better at it. I mean, I was an angry young Marine, and I've gotten a lot better at showing love because I've worked at it. It's not as easy for me as it might be for some people, but we can get better at anything we practice. So practice and encourage each other in it. Uh, Each one of us should be making progress. Now, that's what we do when we gather here. But within our community, the most important thing we do is to show God's love in every relationship. Within our community, that's the most important thing we do. We show God's love every day in every relationship. Can you pop that up? Um, We show love to each other even when we strongly disagree. How many of you who are married have ever had a disagreement with your spouse? I like that. I was just about to say I liked it. Hands going up like, you know, trying to hide it from the spouse. And my wife's over there giving it this. <laughs> it happens, right? But we work beyond it. We grow and we mature and uh, we show love even when we strongly disagree. We show love to people who hate us. We show love to people who hate Jesus. We show love In Jesus' own words, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. When we leave this place, we don't go out in the community and see somebody sinning and say, you dirty, rotten sinner, you're on your way to hell. We don't do that. Are there churches that do that? Unfortunately, yes. One of the worst churches that I know of calls themselves Baptist and they do that. That's not a Baptist thing that we do. We go show love. 
We, it, I mean, if you have a two-year-old, you're not going to expect that two-year-old to be able to drive down to the store, buy you something, and bring it back. You're going to expect that two-year-old to act like a two-year-old. We have to expect unsafe people to act like unsafe people, and we have to show them love anyway. I, I was reading a book, and the, the writer says, um, how did he phrase it? Love like you've never been hurt. Love like you've never been hurt. We have to keep showing love. And sometimes God will bring the opportunity that one of the, one of the guys, when I was a business executive, one of the managers that I had the most trouble with, I ended up actually having to fire him. And he threatened me when he got fired. Uh, I was in Texas, he was in California, but he and his boss worked for me. And, and so after I fired him, a couple years later, he came walking into the office in Texas and asked to see me. And there were a couple people who remembered him and they're like, oh no, there's gonna be a showdown. And he came in and he told me, he said, when you fired me, that was the best thing that had happened in my life. It exposed the problems that I had and he said, I kept remembering that you tried to show love and you were patient and you witnessed for Christ. He trusted Christ as his savior and now his life has changed and he just came by to tell me that. We hugged and we prayed together. It was an awesome moment. We have to show love. Some people make that easy, right? Some people are just easy to love. I mean, like Dawson. Who can't love Dawson, right? I mean, he's just so easy to love. But some people are really hard to love. And no, I will not say anybody in this room. <laughs> we show love to those who are on the die-hard political left and those who are on the extreme political right. We show love to both, even if we're more centrist or even if we're leaning one way, we show love. We mature in our ability to show love to others. Verse 16, we grow up, we're more effective, we we improve in it. Verse 15, we speak the truth in love. We can do this. God demands it, but then he also gives us the capacity for it through the person of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We can put our hearts on the line in every relationship. So that's why as a church we say our purpose is to show God's love and share his truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Church 101, what do we do? We focus on teaching God's word accurately and with love. We focus on challenging and encouraging one another and we focus on showing love to everybody around us. And if we're doing those things, then we're doing what Jesus wants his church to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience with us. You know where we struggle and you love us anyway. We thank you for your truth that you revealed in your word, that we can follow it, that it's unchanging, that my great-great-grandparents and I can follow the same truth and my grandkids can follow it as well. We thank you for your amazing love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, 
That's something you need to do. The Bible says before you receive Christ as your savior, you're actually on the way to hell. You will end up in the lake of fire. You need to ask the Lord to forgive your sins and to be your savior, and he will. Jesus is amazing. He said, whoever comes to me, I'll receive them. Why, if I went to the White House and asked to see the president, they wouldn't let me in. But if I asked to speak to God, he welcomes me. And so you need to trust Christ as your savior. And if you are a Christian, then before you leave here today, just have a conversation with the Lord and say, what area do I need to grow the most right now? What can I work on next? Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.